from a bad dream Don't you sometimes think it's real But it's only false emotions that you feel Hello and welcome to Weekly Monotony, the official podcast of the entertainment blog DailyMonotony.com where we are all duly appointed federal podcasters. My name is, of course, Dustin Anglin. Now, I'm Scott John Scott, and I think it's important that we go forward in the best interest of the human race. And I remain committed to my non-clever intro. I'm Todd Anglin. So you are not a very clever person, other than Mr. Anglin. I want to save it for the show. If I I spend it all on my intro, then I got nowhere (laughs) to go from there. Because that means you would have thought beforehand and, well, you know, prepared, but... Either way, as always, uh, <laughs> uh, we generally review a movie every week, and this week we are reviewing Shutter Island, the new film by Martin Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. But first, before we get into that, we'd like to... Yes, Scorsese, as I'm sure someone will say on this podcast more than once. Uh, but before we get into that, we'd like to talk a little bit about what we've been watching, what we've been playing in the past week, sort of give you a feel for the, the kind of media we consume on a daily basis so you can see how much you agree or how much you uh, associate with our own media viewing habits. And so I will start off with Mr. Todd Anglin. What have you been wa- watching and what have you been playing in the past few weeks? Watching and playing. Well, I, watching, and I, I don't think we want to really dive deep into this because we could easily get lost in this podcast on it. Uh, but do I hear a pun? Uh, <laughs> lost has started, and Lost, of course, sort of trumps all of, all of their TV once it hits, and I have been getting into the season uh, and I'll have to say, still trying – I love the season. I'm, I'm very happy to see that they're not giving up on the final season to just kind of, you know, wind it down, revealing, you know, one secret after another, not creating any new drama. They're they're still definitely creating more <laughs> questions <true>. as <laughs> they go. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I, there's a lot of new stuff to try to figure out, which is always what's been fun about Lost. Right. So they're they're doing it again. And I, I'm just kind of sad that at the end of all this, it's done. So – it's a good way to end the series, though, so I'm, I'm very into that. And if you're not into Lost or if you've missed the last couple of seasons, that's what you should be watching right now. That's true. I, I, I definitely feel like this – I mean, this season I've liked it so far. I think, you know, on average, if you had to ask me my opinion, I've definitely enjoyed it. There's been a lot of a lot of good, fun sort of reminders from earlier seasons of sort of like ending on, you know, WTF moments. And, and I feel like that's what Lost is always great about doing, of introducing these really mind-bending mysteries – and I'm glad that they have, like you said, stuck to int- deciding to introduce more mystery rather than just spending this entire season like explaining this, explaining that, explaining that. Uh, though I feel like they've done a good job at bringing us a little bit into the light, uh, showing showing off some of the things behind the curtains. And I feel like we know more yeah. about former mysteries than we have before, which is nice. Yeah, their format seems to be, if they keep doing what they're doing now, the format seems to be... You've, we've got these really long-running mysteries like, let's say, the numbers. You know, They've been right. around since the beginning of the, the entire show. And instead of just kind of picking an episode to explain the numbers, they're kind of slowly introducing more exactly. about the numbers, connecting the numbers to more meaning. And they're doing that for a lot of the other sort of secrets as well, like the smoke monster and all these right. things. They're not coming outright and saying what they are, but they're slowly building up more and more understanding of what those things might be. So I, I like that approach. I mean, I, again, I think it is true to the Lost series. It's not its not for sort of simple thinking. It still makes you keep up, makes you think, makes you pay attention. Right. So if there was ever a show that had to have a final season at the peak of its popularity, I, I'm glad it's Lost because I'm glad the way they're g- going, going about doing it. So 
Uh, that's what I'm watching on TV. Of course, there's lots of other things running, but that's by far my, my favorite on TV right now. Uh, on the games front, I did very recently check out an Xbox Live uh, indie game. And for those people not familiar, the indie games are essentially games, you, I think you could almost call them amateur games. Games made by people who pick up the XNA development kit, build a game, and get it released essentially to Xbox Live in the indie marketplace. Right. Am I describing that correctly? Yeah, that, that's true. So I think I think it used to be called community games. So if you go to the, the games marketplace section of Xbox Live, uh, and you look through the different sections, you'll see stuff like you know demos and uh, downloadable games, like full downloadable games, arcade games. And there used to be this thing called community games, which are basically games made by anyone with the XNA development kit, and uh, and I think a little subscription to that service. Uh, but now they've rebranded it as indie games, and uh, uh, and it's again it's that same market. It's a uh, basically uh, you know people who students. Uh, you know, amateurs, semi-professionals, uh, people who want to make games on the side using this XNA uh, development kit to make games uh, that you would normally see, I think, in sort of like the flash market on uh, on the internet or or other indie indie game sites like Congregate or uh, or uh, whatever the Newgrounds stuff like that. Sure. So I I went there and I downloaded the trial the demo for a game called Yet Another Zombie Defense Game. Nice. Uh, not the kind of game I usually go for just by genre or by what seemed to be gameplay, but I was curious in the game in what these indie games are all about. The the screenshots looked like they were kind of nice, so so I checked it out. Um, now the graphics, I'll have to say, from indie game did impress me. It reminded me a lot in in some ways of the Shadow Complex graphics in That's that it had you know, sort of a nice 3D effect. It had was making good use of light and dark. Um, however, as I got into the demo, I quickly realized the difference that time and investment that goes into sure. a, a let's and I hate to to, to use this word a quote unquote real game. <laughs> not to say that this is not a real game, but you can tell that it's very basic. And uh, in my chief complaint <laughs> with this game is that it's very difficult to, at least for me, to aim. The gun. You essentially have two motions of control. Well, you can essentially move in a very basic plane. You can move around, you know, up and down, all around this map. It's it's 3D, but you essentially have 2D movement, up, down, left, right. right. But you can't aim the gun. <laughs> so you're you're imagine having your arm basically just stiff out in front of you with a sure, gun, right. and you have to kind of move your body all the time to, to aim and shoot. And so it, coming from other 3D games where you do get used to that mechanic of having the ability to move and aim a gun. Uh, up and down, even it was very jarring, and and overall it just felt like it's a very much a, a 3D twitch game. You know, all these things were coming at you. It was very difficult for me to maneuver, and so while I appreciate that these indie games are out there and they're giving people the ability to do kind of quick little fun things like this, it also highlighted me, highlighted for me what difference is made when you have a professional company behind a game investing a lot of time. Testing some effing gameplay mechanics. Sure. Uh, there is a gap, at least in this game. I, you definitely recognize the gap, and it almost makes you appreciate the fact that what what you're paying for in a Bioshock, what you're paying for in a Modern Warfare, you you realize how good that is sometimes right. when you come back and play games like this. Yeah, indie games has always been a bit of a mystery to me, uh, and I think unfortunately it's had a a bit of a a marketing problem before because it originally started out as community games. No one ever looked at it. Uh, didn't sell a lot of games very well. Uh, I think it's been positioned as sort of the app store of Xbox Live, sort of the comparison to iPhone. Uh, and I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of good content that can be produced for it. But uh, 
the weird thing is that you have it competing. You have you have indie games competing with the arcade, which both of them are sort of you know small dev team projects. But you know the arcade stuff clearly comes from a a higher qu- higher quality. It's stuff that's been vetted by Microsoft people and you know approved to go to be released to, to the general public. Whereas the indie games are only ever vetted by other indie game producers, uh, uh, and doesn't really have that seal of quality on it. So. It's it's a bit unfortunate. Like I actually know a couple of guys who work for Microsoft and work for XNA who've created some games for that. In fact, one of the most popular games for indie games is called Avatar Drop, which is quite literally a physics simulator where you take your avatar and you drop him down. And he bangs off of some you know some physics objects and you score points for that. And uh, he's made he's actually made a bundle off that. And uh, he actually I think he works in the XNA team and and made it uh, made it for some. Uh, some sort of a contest they were having within the XNA team itself. But yeah, it's unfortunate. I feel like if uh, if Microsoft were really to go after some of the great indie game developers out there, you know, the Derek Hughes, the you know, the, the the Swedish people who make these games that, you know, consistently win the IGF, the the Indi- independent games festival every year, I feel like they could really make that sort of low price, you know, couple bucks indie game market on the Xbox really shine, but Right now, I almost feel like it's the it's the games that didn't quite make the arcade standard area, and you know why on earth would I want to pay money for yeah. for games and, that and weren't good enough true, to be in the, the arcade? At the same time, in that same period, I, I downloaded and played the the demo for Trials HD, which, which is sort is of amazing, a, right? It's very much along the lines of Shadow Complex, only not at all a gun game. You basically, to me, it reminded me of the old Excite Bike for yeah, Nintendo, exactly. only redone in, in 3D with some physics. Um, and that was an outstanding game. Very basic, very straightforward gameplay, but very fun. It immersed you. You wanted to keep playing. The controls were well done. So it, it highlighted in that same time span of looking at an indie game to an arcade game and thinking about where an arcade game would become a, let's say, a retail game. There are, for me at least, were clear differences in quality. And at the indie game level, it seems like you're definitely taking your chance that the game's not going to be very playable. So I think um, it was a neat experience. It's good to see that there's an opportunity for people to put stuff out there. But for now, on the Xbox, where there is so much competition from retail games and arcade games, sure. I have to agree. Indie games to me are a bit of a mystery. Yeah, I, I, it's cool that it's there, but they're going to have to work a bit harder if they're going to get me to drop some money. Yeah, I really, I really feel like they need to explain why I should get an indie game over an arcade game. Or, or they should get some, again, get some of the great indie developers out there, put the IGF finalists in there, you know, put anyone who's done stuff for XNA-style content, you know, put, put student games out there, put some of the really good games and, and market it a bit better. Because right now, it, it just seems like the, the crappier cousin of arcade, and I don't think the Xbox needs that right now. Cool. It's ruining the gaming industry. <laughs> hey, no. Hey, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, and, and I will just mention, I have seen also recently a couple of movies, Extract and Hurt Locker, but I know we've got some, some deeper movie podcasts coming up, so I'm going to save some of my, my updated opinions on those for that. But I have caught a couple of movies, and I'll be sharing some opinions in the future. Cool stuff. Right. Yeah, we'll definitely get back to that in, uh, in next week's podcast. We'll be talking about the Oscars, which are coming up in, only, in only 10 days now, very soon. Uh, Scott, I don't think you have anything to talk about, so I'll just go ahead and jump into what I ha- have seen. Uh, I definitely, I've seen and played a lot. You know, this is this is my passion, so I play a lot. I'll try to scope it down to the things that I think are worth talking about. Uh, from the movie standpoint, I managed to see a, I actually managed to have a great movie watching experience that you just don't often get to see. Uh, I got to go see a film. Uh, it's a very small uh, independent comedy, 
But I got to go see it at a place where the producers, the directors, and the actors uh, were actually there uh, promoting it. And uh, uh, this movie is a movie called Mystery Team. And Mystery Team is a movie by a group called Derek Comedy, which is uh, at DerekComedy.com. You can see they've done a lot of sort of YouTube-esque comedy sketch stuff. Uh, and uh, stars... Uh, Stars a, a group of people who started doing sketch comedy uh, together when they were in college, and actually one of those pers- one of those uh, the people in that group is Donald Glover, who plays Troy on Community, the uh, uh, the uh, African American uh, football star now in Community College, and uh, and two other buddies who are actually part of his uh, his group, and they actually came and they premiered this their their first sort of feature length movie called Mystery Team at a local theater near us and actually showed up to talk about it and uh, to answer questions about it. So it's it's actually a really fun movie experience that you don't usually get to, get to see a movie and then get to talk to the people who made it and who acted in it and uh, ask them questions. Uh, the basic premise of this film is it's, uh, uh, as they called it, it's Encyclopedia Brown All Grown Up. So basically it's a bunch of kids uh, who used to be sort of child detectives and now they're sort of grown up in this sort of like senior year in high school and yet they still act like encyclopedia brown detective stuff and they get involved in in rather doing a sort of small time you know kid detective stuff getting involved in trying to solve a murder mystery and it's sort of sort of taking these you know these sort of adults who still have a kid mentality and putting them in a bunch of adult situations with this very adult mystery and uh i have to admit it's, it's one of the funniest films i've seen in a long time and it's unfortunate that it's not getting a very wide release so I don't think most people will get it, get the chance to see it in theaters, but uh, it's coming out in DVD soon. Uh, I'd highly recommend this uh, to Netflix. If you're a fan at all of Community or if you if you know about uh, the Derek Comedy team, uh, this is a great comedy, uh, unfortunately, that just won't make it into the theaters because of the way uh, the sort of uh, money and marketing it takes to actually get a full wide distribution. But uh, uh, hilarious film, a great chance to actually meet the people who made it. Uh, uh, and in fact, if you buy the DVD, you might just see my name in the DVD credits because I actually did go see it twice. And, and by doing that, they actually let you join a thing called the Sword Club, which is uh, where they give you these little foam swords with a, some random quote on it. And they actually uh, put your name in the DVD credits. So, uh, so I highly recommend checking out Mystery Team, uh, a very fun fun movie. Well, by that's the all takes getting the credits. My comedy. opinion of the credits has been significantly changed. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> careful, careful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so that's that's the film I'm playing for today. Uh, games, I played a ton of games, and this has actually been a great season for games. I mean, the, the first couple of months of this year have been almost like what we would traditionally see in happen in the fall, sort of pre-Christmas season for games. Uh, tons of great games being released. Mass Effect 2, which we're going to be talking about in just a little bit, doing a, a more big full review on that. But uh, other games like uh, Bioshock 2 just came out, and I got a chance to play through all that. I've had to just give a, a quick sort of minute review on that. I have to say, uh, incredibly fun. If you liked the first game, I think you'll like this game. The problem is the magic from the first game, that story-driven elements to it, uh, that mystery of learning this new environment just isn't really there. They kind of plop you in the environment uh, almost as if you'd never stopped playing the first game and you're sort of back into the action. Uh, I will say that they have made a lot of good improvements to it. They make you... Uh, use plasmas, these sort of powers uh, that you can get uh, uh, in a way that's far more effective than it was before. I have to admit, I used mostly guns in the first game and not these sort of plasmid powers. Uh, and also because this game, you are playing a big daddy, which is not a spoiler, something you find out very early a in the game. big daddy. A very big daddy. <laughs> that you get this really cool uh, melee attack because you actually get the drill, this this sort of big steam drill that, that you saw 
on some of the big daddies in the previous game. And that actually becomes probably my one of my favorite additions to this game. And uh, once that gets powered up and you really get uh, powerful with your melee attacks, uh, the gameplay changes in a way that makes you really feel like you're a big daddy. And actually, by the end of this game, I was having a bunch of fun with it. Though, again, not the the magic and the, mis the mystique of the first game is sort of gone, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that's a, this is a game that, for me, I was disappointed when it got delayed in, in the November holiday season from 2009, because that's when it was originally aiming. And then I think everybody kind of didn't want to run up against Modern Warfare exactly, 2 and, right. you know, last-minute things pushed them into New Year. I'm a little disappointed kind of that it, it shipped in February, not because of, for any nature of how it may have affected the game, just because it's just not the same as, like, that end of year when you have time to kind of set aside and play games. That's true. So, this is a game that I, I wonder how much releasing at this point impacted the sales, even, you know, not running up against Modern Warfare 2. Uh, to me, it didn't seem to grab as much media attention as uh, Modern Warfare 2's release did or Halo 2's release or a lot of the other big uh, titles. So, yes, it's a sequel, but I guess, you know, arguably so is Modern Warfare 2. Um, but definitely a game I hope to check out soon. And, and based on your, your early review, hopefully I can provide some, some other context once I get into it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's it's and it's it's kind of weird, and I agree. This is definitely a time when you know, sort of early in the year, it's harder to sort of set aside that time. You don't have the big holiday coming up to play through games, but uh, you know, if if you've got some spare time, it only took me probably about you know eight to ten hours to play through this. Uh, uh, pick it up, you know, play a couple hours a night, and I think I think by the end of this game, you'll you'll have you actually have quite a bit of fun with it. So, uh, so it com comes cool. comes recommended by me. <laughs> To use the passive voice. To use the passive voice, which we do a lot in our grammatically intolerant podcast. Uh, so that's what we've been watching. Let's go ahead and move on to some of the big reviews. Uh, usually we just do one review, usually of a movie that we've seen. But uh, this time there was a game that came out, I think, that made such a splash and such an effect on me that I feel like it was worth actually uh, talking about, especially because, uh, Scott, I know you played through this as well. And that game is Mass Effect 2, the sequel to uh, the Bioware game Mass Effect. And this is this is an action sci-fi RPG that uh, takes place Whoa. place takes place within the the Milky Way galaxy. And you're playing as as Commander Shepard, this this sort of a uh, 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 sci-fi uh, action hero, kind of the the Han Solo of of your own your own sort of personal uh, sci-fi adventure and. Uh, the original game uh, again. Bioware were the makers of of some some pretty awesome RPGs in the past, including one of my favorite RPGs, which was the Star Wars game Knights of the Old Republic, uh, which was a, a great story driven uh, Star Wars game. In fact, probably one of the best Star Wars stories since the original series. Uh, and when the original Mass Effect came out, it was very much driven in that same standpoint of of sure it's going to be it's it's kind of actioning they actually do add this kind of shooter mechanic to it but the main point of playing this game is this rich in-depth science fiction story and uh and Mass Effect 2 picks up right where that the original one left off and uh I have to admit this was probably one of you know it it's it's amazing for a game coming out this early in in the gaming season to have to just be so wonderful and be such such a rich and amazing game especially for you know a sequel to a game that I think was was kind of you know some people didn't quite like the way that the original came out. Uh, uh, Scott, I know you play this. Uh, uh, Scott, I, I know you, <laughs> I know you play this, and clearly you disagree with people's original comments on Mass Effect. But uh, what did you think of of the sequel, Mass Effect Two? Um, well, I, I don't think I could have liked the original too much more. It's one of those games. It's like Oblivion, where you can spend your entire sophomore year playing it, <laughs> but 
there's a couple of things which hold you back from saying it's the greatest game ever created. You know, weird little foibles like, oh, I am, so now I can't finish the main quest. Sure. Stuff like that. Um, and in the first game, those problems were driving around in this stupid little car, an inventory management system which can only be described as random number seed generated. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. <laughs> and, yeah, that's pretty much all that was wrong with the first game. Mm. And running around a bunch to do and, stuff you didn't have and, to do. And the, the first game was, I mean, they tried to open things up to a very broad point. So so one of the big parts about Mass Effect is that you're in the spaceship and you can kind of tour the galaxy and go from planet to planet uh, doing different missions. There are only a few main missions, but there are a lot of side quest missions. And, and one of the big problems in the original Mass Effect is that a lot of the side quest missions felt very, very much sort of uh, template and stamped. So you feel like they just sort of picked this thing of like, you, you land, shoot right. your way through you a land, line, you, and then yeah. go back to the spaceship. Yeah, you land, you go find an area, you shoot some people in a, in a little mine cave environment, and then you go back, and that was it. Uh, it never really felt like they had thought through it that much, even though they offered this big universe. It didn't really feel like they fulfilled on it. Uh, though that's totally different than Mass Effect 2. Like, I feel like one of the big... like so, so one of the great things about Mass Effect 2, and you know, I've, I've done a little bit of research into the, the, way, the way the game was made, and when the developers were working on Mass Effect 2, they actually they took a whiteboard, they wrote down all the problems that people had had with the original Mass Effect, the, the sort of crappy side quests, the uh, not very tight sort of third-person shooter controls, which is the, kind of the main way you pay the, the, the action parts of this, this game, and the sort of buggy sort of nature of, of the game in general. And they really, it almost feels like they took each one of those things that people had qualms with in the first game, and they said, you know what, we're going to fix that, we're going to fix that, we're going to fix that, and you really do feel like that, like, everything was addressed in this game. Like, they really took our feedback, they listened to our complaints, and they did the right things. They gave us side quests, which are not just stupid, you know, one mission, go fight in a cave, and then come back. Like, the side quests in this <laughs> in this game are, can branch into... I like into, fighting in caves. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they can branch into even bigger side quests. So you can get you can go to one place and uh, get a side quest, and then that mission takes you to another place, which takes you to another place, which takes you to another place. And you get this nice, long, threaded story, and it doesn't feel like... You don't feel bad for having gone and done this one random side quest. It's really really is engaging. And uh, and the, the, the basic mechanics of it, the action mechanics of it, uh, it feels like, for once, like, this game feels like a legitimate third-person shooter, like... I wouldn't quite call it as good as a Gears of War or something like that, but I I was totally convinced by it. It's tight. You, when you aim someplace and shoot there, that's where your bullet goes. Like that wasn't quite that wasn't quite what we got in the first Mass Effect, but but all that's really tight. The cover mechanics work really well. Uh, I just had a a blast with the the actiony aspects of it, which is not something that I always considered to be a strong point of any RPG. I basically played the first game as a shooting. One of the nice things about this game is your ability to choose basically an overlapping but somewhat comprehensive set of classes. In a lot of games, it'll be like there's 20,000 classes and they all have like, you know, a slightly different multiplier when you do a die roll. Well, that's great. In this game, the there's basically three main things you can do and you can only do two of each one. And so that gives you six different possible classes. Um, and there's actually some distinction between playing the classes because they actually limit quite a bit what you're allowed to do depending on which class you're playing. Um, I played both of these games through as basically the shoot everything that moves class, the soldier class, and I think this game works pretty well as a basically a straight up shooter. The 
second game having more classic, I want to say FPS characteristics. It, it's really, of course, a third-person game, but it, it has some, some FPS sort of feel to it. Sure. Um, for instance, in the first game, there is no ammo management. There's just the gun warm-up cooldown stuff. In the second game, there is no right, warm-up cooldown. There's ammo There's ammo, right. Which which goes against the story of the game and caused infinite groans from people who are story fiends, but that's okay. But because it, those it, it worked in general, and it, and it felt a lot better than the original game where you, you shoot multiple times and you're you're pulling the trigger and then suddenly your gun overheats. Like that's the most annoying thing in the world. I guess you'd rather pull the trigger and get a click. I'd rather pull the trigger, get my clip, you know, be able to reload and and go into the next zone without having to worry about overheating my gun. Definitely. Instead of being like, okay, blow on it. No, 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 not not that part. Blow on the next part. Yeah. Right. Um. So, but I mean, I, I really, the story is what made me play this game, you know, obsessively for Absolutely. 36 hours at a time. Um, there's just cool stuff happening, especially when it all reminds you vaguely of like an evil version of the West Wing. <laughs> um, Which to Republicans, that's just the West Wing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do I smell idealism somewhere? No, of course not. But, um, gosh, it, it, it's really hard to with reasons why it's effect two because nothing jumps out as reasons why i don't like it which means i like everything about it yeah it's it's, it's again it's, it's hard to find the the parts that you don't like about this uh oh so, so one of the the great things about this game and this is the first time i've actually experienced this in rpg is that it's in, in or in a, any sequel of any if any kind is that you can take the character you made so so one of the big th big things about mass effect is you can create your own character you can give him a class you can actually shape his face to make him look however you want and, or her face. Or her face, yes. You can be a guy or a girl. Uh, and you can import that character that you made in the first Mass Effect into this game. So the, the Commander Shepard that I created and I sort of spent all this time and spent all this uh, you know, effort into creating who he was in the first Mass Effect, I was able to import directly into Mass Effect 2. And it was the same guy. He looked the same. He had even had the same characteristics. So I'd played a very... I played a you know a very uh, a good character or in the Mass light side. yeah in the Mass Effect two thing they call it a Paragon which is very much the light side character and when I imported that character he had the same characteristics from it in fact all the decisions that I had made in Mass Effect one about you know whether this person lives or whether this person dies whether to save these people or not all that stuff was carried into Mass Effect two in in a way that I've just never seen done in an RPG and it was it was amazing to be walking through a level and then have some guy come up to you and be like, hey, do you remember me from the first game? It's like, oh, you're the dude that I saved. And like, yeah, like this is what I'm doing now. And and they wouldn't just come up to you and talk to you. They'd actually come up to you and they'd give you a quest. So it didn't feel like they were just trying to, you know, make references to like, oh, yeah, remember that first game? But there was actually, uh, there were real meta things. reference here. Right, there were real things that you got from having made decisions in the previous game that applied into this game, which is, I feel like it's something that we've been promised in RPGs for a long time, but we've never really seen delivered on. And and I have to admit, uh, stuff like that just just made you feel like you really were playing playing a sequel, like a genuine sequel, where you were you were, had had taken all that all that stuff and all that time you'd poured into the first game, and and getting the sort of benefits and rewards of it in this game. It's 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 hard to like this game anymore, especially especially with the fact that if you played the first game and you do have any sort of time invested in a character, you can bring it over. I mean, you know, the level fifty nine Archmage that I have in Oblivion, he's never going anywhere. Right. He's just gonna hang out. Unfortunately. But Mass Effect, you know, there are many more opportunities to romance digital characters in the future, or at least one more <laughs> if Mass Effect three happens, which it will. Yep, it will. Yeah, I again it's 
I think we could I could talk for hours about the amazing things that I loved about this game. Uh, uh, but again, trying to wrap it up <laughs> has it not been hours already? <laughs> it's not been hours already, and I know Todd, since you haven't played this game, might seem like that. But uh, I just again just wrap... my one question to, yeah, to you guys is my hesitation to not playing has been that everybody has said you don't you can't appreciate Mass Effect two unless you played Mass Effect one, and that obviously makes it a hurdle to play Mass Effect two. So here's uh, if you haven't played the first. So is it a requirement? Would you recommend playing the first if you? I enjoyed the second. I can stand on its own. I, I so I really enjoyed the first Mass Effect, and I would always recommend playing that game, especially because you can find it for twenty bucks, I think, at Best Buy in the bargain bin. Uh, and I think you will get more enjoyment and more appreciation for the universe and what's going on if you have played the first one. But it's totally not required. You can start. They um, uh, one of the great things is the way the story starts is they do a great job of of un- explaining why you could have started essentially fresh, essentially a new in this game. Uh, and I, I totally think, you know, if you don't want to go back and play the original Mass Effect and you just want to play this game, go for it. They actually have sort of a random set of things that occur in, in sort of setting up the way the universe works out based on effect, based on decisions you could have made in the previous game. Uh, but you know what? I'd say, you know, the game is so good that I would I would definitely say don't, if, don't worry about having to go back through and play Mass Effect if that's the thing stopping you from playing Mass Effect 2. So I think you will enjoy Mass Effect 2 no matter what. Got it. Cool. Yeah, I mean, awesome game. Uh, the, clearly, just, just to, to prove that, you know, we, we're not completely love-blind on this game. Uh, the, there were, were some not. problems. There were some problems I had with this game, and uh, they're, they're not huge, but, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of kind of mini-games they have in here, one of them for sort of hacking doors and... Uh, and in hacking uh, various consoles, one of them for for scanning for resources on planets, which is sort of the new way that you you collect resources to sort of upgrade your characters. And I have to admit, those games were they're pretty tedious. They're not very fun, though. I admit, I obsessively mined for resources on every planet I went to, which was so. So how many sad. resources <laughs> did you end the game with? A lot more than I care to share <laughs> with the internet. <laughs> I mean, because I, I agree, I was an obsessive compulsive miner, especially in the first game where you had to, you know, drive your ass around on planets exactly. and then stop these little lumps and then play a mini game to be like, hey, the lump that you thought looked like metal is metal. Right. So, um, so, so I'll admit, like, I, I wish those had been a bit more interesting, though they were a little obsessively compelling. <laughs> so maybe that's <laughs> maybe maybe that's just appealing to, to their target audience, but. uh I feel like that could have been better. I still don't feel like, the, you know, as good as the action mechanics were, I don't feel like they were as good as, you know, say a legitimate third-person shooter or something like Gears of War. I still had a little problems, like, sticking to walls when I was trying to to do uh, to do sort of get-behind-cover moves, and, and that was a little, a little uh, frustrating. And, and for a long time, using, using the, the magic in this game, which is called Biotics, I had trouble hitting stuff because things would be uh, behind cover until I realized you could do this thing where you could you could shoot these kind of the when you when you use your magic you basically throw this little magic ball at people and then if it hits them it performs the magic move and uh, I realized <laughs> the magic move the magic move exactly and I realized only halfway through the game that that these things were actually would track a target almost like a homing missile and you could actually throw it around co- corners and throw it above them and it would actually track down and hit them so once I realized that uh, the the the, some of the problems I had with the the action mechanics uh, sort of went away because they became far more compelling at that point. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, good grief! I think this is going to be serious contender for game of the year this year, and uh, it's came out within the first or within the first month of this year. I mean, that's 
that's utterly ridiculous. Uh, Mass Effect Two. I mean, all I can say is that I I wish Mass Effect Three were out right now because because I love playing I, it and not podcast. I know. I, I love the fact that they set up the fact that stuff you did in Mass Effect One really affected what happens in Mass Effect Two, and now you know all the decisions you made in Mass Effect Two are really going to affect what happened in Mass Effect Three. And it almost got to the point where there were a couple decisions I had to make, like. I won't spoil anything, but there's this one one part of the game where you have to sort of decide whether to encourage this group of people to go to war or not. And I was literally fretting about it because, like, I know this is going to affect what happens in Mass Effect Three, and I was I was going back and forth. I'm like, well, if I send them to war, maybe they'll do well and they'll get back what they lost. But if I don't send them to war, maybe they'll survive. And I want these people to survive. Like, I mean, no other game leaves you asking these kind of questions. It leaves you worrying about these kind of questions. Uh, uh, it's such a great immersive experience, and it's you know it's the sci-fi movie that we've been wanting for a long time. Only it's interactive and it's it's personal. It's you know this this is the kind of game that really make, makes me believe that that video games are the next the next stage in development of of interactive storytelling. And uh, yeah, I, I cannot wait for the for their next. Our apologies game. to Mr. Ebert. <laughs> More than that, because you know he doesn't have a, a lower jaw anymore, but still. <laughs> The audience inner monologue. I wonder if these guys like Mass Effect 2. We like Mass Effect 2. I'm, I'm really not sure. <laughs> no, they probably don't like Mass Effect 2. I don't know. Maybe they, should, maybe they should tell me more about their feelings. I just can't tell whether they like it or not. It, clearly. I, I, again, I, I, could, I could do the hour-long Mass Effect 2 Love Fest podcast. But I won't. I think we've talked about it enough right now. If, if you've not decided that you want to go play this game, uh, then you probably don't like video games, or you don't like sci-fi, or you're stupid. So, <laughs> or you don't like humanity. <laughs> so we will move on to our. Or you value your time. <laughs> to our movie review, uh, which is Shutter Island by Martin Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo. Here's a little bit of the trailer. We take only the most dangerous and damaged patients, ones no other hospital can manage. are all violent defenders, right? They've hurt people, murdered them in some cases. In almost all cases, yes. We try to provide them with a measure of calm. Personally, Doctor, I'd have to say screw their sense of calm. So this prisoner escapes in the last 24 hours. We don't know how she got out of her room. It's as if she evaporated straight through the walls. We haven't heard the truth once yet, but no one will talk. It's like they're scared of something. It's all down, all the lines, even radio. Whatever the hell's going on here, it's bad. We need to ask you some questions, okay? Okie doke, Shutter Island. Martin Scorsese, based on a... Uh, it's a film adaptation of a very popular book uh, by Dennis Lehane... Uh, uh, who, surprisingly enough, when I was doing a bit of research for this, apparently he also wrote the book uh, a Mystic River, which was a very famous uh, film by Clint Eastwood. And he also wrote the book Gone Baby Gone. It just Go- keeps rolling along. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And he also wrote the book Gone Baby Gone, which was a, a very popular film that was uh, directed by Ben Affleck in uh, 2007. So so not clearly a, a, a guy who writes books that are meant to be movies and uh, – uh, you know, this is by the acclaimed director Martin Scorsese, uh, who won you know best director and best picture for his film The Departed only a couple of years ago. Has done 
amazing, you know, memorable films like Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, Taxi Driver, or The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, probably one of the best directors of the 20th century and, and, and even of modern times. I put him up there, you know, along my sort of elite list of directors whose, whose movies I will see regardless of content. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's quite true. I mean, uh, there are definitely a list of directors who I will just go see their films no matter what. Martin Scorsese is one of them. The basic premise of this film is uh, uh, it's a thriller-slash-psychological horror film uh, about two federal marshal- marshals who are investigating uh, the di- disappearance of a patient at the Ashcliff, the Ashcliff Hospital for the Criminally Insane on the titular island Shutter Island. <laughs> and that's basically the way that we're set up. Uh, uh, Mar- uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo play these two, these two agents, these two federal marshals investigating something mysterious that's going on in this insane asylum on this island called Shutter Island. And uh, that's how things start. Clearly there's going to be some thrills and some chills. Uh, Todd, since we spent the last you know 15 minutes talking about Mass Effect 2, why don't you spend a little time and tell us a little bit about what she thought of Shutter Island. Uh, well, I don't really need to spend, I think, 15 minutes on my opinion here. I, the movie is one that I had not really read much about, didn't go into it with really any expectations beyond what I had gathered from the widely run uh, TV previews for it. Um, and my general reaction coming out of it is it was entertaining, but probably not the best movie I've ever seen and frankly probably not the best movie I've seen from Mr. Martin Skoreski or Scorsese as <laughs> I like to say yes. uh, or from Leonardo DiCaprio in fact um, I, I only after seeing the movie jumped over to Rotten Tomatoes just to kind of see what the rest of the, the world was saying about it and right now on Rotten Tomatoes Shutter Island is pulling in a 67% uh, which frankly for whatever it means, it's really kind of a validation of about where I would place this in my own opinion. It wasn't great. It wasn't awful. It kind of rides right somewhere in the middle of, eh, okay. Yep. Um, the, the story is interesting. The, the characters play their roles well, generally. But the movie kind of, because it's trying to be different in a lot of ways, it kind of bucks traditional storytelling patterns. And in the end, it kind of leaves me just kind of meandering through a, a interesting story, but there's no big buildup of suspense. There's no big buildup of mystery that sort of reaches some just dramatic climax that is, you know, the big twist of the movie or the big point where it all builds up to and then releases. Because there's so much up and down to the movie and because it's such a different approach to telling a story, you never really get into it as deeply as you kind of hope. And and you and I saw this together um, when I was up in, in Seattle and I remember one of my first reactions coming out of this was I just didn't really get emotionally connected to these characters. For as emotional as the characters are in the movie, I'm kind of left not caring about whatever happens to them. And that's really a bad thing for the movie because I really appreciate the, the really depth of the story they're trying to tell. You've got to connect personally with at least some of the story trying to be told here. And I don't know if it was, it was the directing or the story or if they just took a, too much of a risk here, but the movie definitely falls into my kind of eh category and if you were anywhere on the fence with this one i don't think you'd be missing a lot to wait for dvd but given what else is out in the box office now uh it's not it's not a bad one to see you're you're not going to be let's see i I don't know what actually you're out there running up against let me uh let me look here see if i can provide an idea i think think you'd be going up against things like valentine's day 
Yeah, that's actually an excellent motion picture right there. Lots of Academy Award nominations. If if Valentine's Day or Tooth Fairy don't don't fit your fancy, then perhaps Shutter Island is is your better alternative. But I mean, again, not a bad movie. Just you know, I don't quite understand people who are calling this the greatest thing ever. You know, perfect masterpiece. That really wasn't my opinion of it. You know, or if you if you haven't seen Avatar yet, or haven't seen it like. Five yeah, times, go ahead like, and, and just like, chuck a few more coins yeah. into uh, into James Cameron's charity <laughs> bin, right? Into his his two point five billion dollar charity bin. Uh, yeah, you know, I I, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I, the, you know, the general feeling I came away with this was meh, sort of you know mediocre malaise. Uh, it, it's it's unfortunate because you know I love Martin Scorsese. You know, Goodfellas is probably one of my favorite films uh, ever made. Uh, I just Departed was a great film as well. Uh, I love his style. I love his, just like uh, you know when we talked about Inglorious Bastards, we we talked about you know how much how much love for cinema is in a film like that, and and how much Quentin Tarantino shows his love for classic cinema and his love for the history of cinema. I feel like Martin Scorsese is one of those guys who just you know who studies cinema and who loves it deeply, and there's a great has a great passion for it, and and you can see a lot of that being poured out in this film. You can see a lot of a lot of classic horror tropes. You can see a lot of references to, to, to films like The Shining, especially in the cinematography and a lot of the, the, the fact that he'll take a lot of shots and he'll make them very symmetrical and a lot of long hallway shots. And there's a lot of good creepy stuff put in there. And I, the art direction is actually really great. The problem is the, the story in itself is, while it starts out interesting and it starts out sort of teasing you with this mystery of, of essentially the mystery is, you know, you know who's the insane person? Where's who's you know what's going on? They kind of present, presents two possibilities, and you're you're left to wonder and sort of you know think about this mystery the entire time, uh, uh, sort of brood on on the concept. Uh, and unfortunately, it just about I think about halfway or two thirds of the way through this movie, it just the entire film loses steam, and then it kind of peters out in which in a a very unsatisfying ending, which. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's like I I would have loved this film to be far more creepier than it was. To really go for the the the, the horror tropes that I wanted. I w- would have loved to see a full on you know creepy crazy horror film done by Martin Scorsese. But in the end, it sort of ends in a way that's a bit more traditional. And having read a bit more about the book, I think it, it sticks very close to the book's story. And that, in that sense, I think it's unfortunate. Like, I, I really wish you would have taken a bit more artistic license with this and uh, made something that was slightly more exciting in the end. Because this film really does lose a lot of steam in the last the, the last act where you get these long scenes of exposition where people are literally talking to each other for 10 minutes. And it's supposed to be a creepy sci-fi, or not a sci-fi, a creepy, a creepy horror film, a psychological thriller, and you have people just talking back and forth for ten minutes. It's like that's not creepy. Yeah. That's not and horror. I think, <laughs> yeah, I, and I think the reason that the movie loses a lot of steam is early on, you're not quite sure what what direction the movie's going to go. I mean, one of the problems I had with this movie was Leonardo DiCaprio's character was relatively flat through the movie. That's in that. true. He's... He starts paranoid, <laughs> right. ends paranoid. He's paranoid in the middle. Right. I mean, there, there was really not a lot of variation or even. I mean. The movie his character declining into you know deeper insanity as the plot of the movie kind of suggests um but you you don't feel that grand decline because he already starts kind of paranoid to begin with so there's not a lot of room for him to go from where True. he starts that being said you know as the movie progresses the reason that it's more engaging early on is because you're not sure 
how far are they willing to go? So you're thinking, all right, they're building up. Okay, there's a mystery here. Okay, this could be really creepy. You know, this could come back and be really creepy. And you know, you're starting to get tastes of you know, the mystery, the, the creepiness, the setting, the tone. Uh, you know, they're, they're in arguably a setting that is, is perfect for creating a creepy movie. You know, an old asylum. Exactly, right. <laughs> they introduce you to some really creepy you know, asylum inmates when you come in the, the gates of this place. But then there are points as you get towards the middle where clearly some of these things need to start paying off. You know, you need to have that shock moment where right. something jumps out at you. You need to have that creepy visual moment where something so disturbing shows up on screen, screen that you're just you know, you, it turns. Sure. But when those moments came, you were greeted with dialogue. Or when those moments <laughs> right. came, you're greeted with a very brief scare, but then it kind of built into a more logical scene. Right, so you right. realized, you know. They're not really going to go there, are they? They're just going to kind of take this in a more traditional storytelling route. Uh, and once you realize that, then everything starts to lose steam because you realize, all right, I'm just watching a movie that's trying to tell an interesting story, and it's not going to try to scare me or build up a lot of mystery because they're going to answer their own questions right. uh, in a few minutes. And I think once you realize that, that's where this movie starts to lose a lot of its interest and ultimately – for me, it doesn't really live up to what the previews build it as. I think this That's movie true. is very different from what the previews and the trailers. The, the trailers uh, build, make it build this as a sort of classic, you know, suspense horror film. You know, the the the, the paranormal activity kind of film. Uh, uh, but it's it's it just doesn't. Del- it, I feel like it tries to go that route, but just does not deliver on that in in any in any sense with the the conclusion. So so let me. Yeah, go ahead. Just to clarify, um, so you're saying this. To analogize, I suppose, it would be to say that the creepy girl crawls out of the television after you pop in the VHS and then gives the Gettysburg Address. Essentially. <laughs> no, I, I would say the analogy is the creepy girl ch- crawls out of the television and then has a conversation with the guy in the room, and they just kind of sit there and casually or, talk. Or better, or better yet, the creepy, girl, the creepy girl stays in the television and gives the Gettysburg <laughs> Address. <laughs> she, she walks right up to the edge of the screen and then just kind of knocks on the glass. Right. So you're like, oh, and then And then, you know, someone okay. changes the channel to the weather channel. <laughs> <laughs> As you can it see, Tropical <laughs> Storm Bill is dissipating. <laughs> just didn't go far enough and yeah, which is kind of shocking considering how how extreme we know that uh martin scorsese can be and true, true. considering this is an r-rated movie I mean, it's like I mean, you know yeah. you had all liberty to do whatever you needed to do but it just was not the story I mean, they were trying you, to tell you make a great point there because the end of the departed is probably one of the most the most crazy surprising endings i've seen in a film and that that is a wonderful shock ending and and so you know Scorsese is capable of doing this, but the end of this film is just – it has none of that. It it feels like it had its scene where it was trying to really shock you and trying to and trying to sort of be that reveal moment in the in the film, but it felt so flat. And like even like the big shock moment at the end, like I, I did not jump. I did not move. I just sipped on my Coke Icy and was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of just shrug your shoulders. And I found myself in the days afterwards kind of – continuing to kind of think at that moment, kind of just continue to shrug my shoulders at it. Is it interesting? Does it cause you to think? Yeah, but mm-hmm. not in a real dramatic yeah. way. It's not a movie. So, it's not a moment that makes and, the movie. And the, I think the real unfortunate thing is, so when, after, you know, I'd watched this film, I think about, you know, a couple of days later, I was trying to think, well, what if, what if the real reveal at the end was not the case? What if it, you know, what if, you know, what, one of the other ways that we thought this film may have been going was actually the way the film really was, and we were just all being tricked into it. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and the more I thought about it, I was like, nope, that's, it's impossible for it to be any other way than it, than it came out. And that's unfortunate. Like, 
you expect these kind of thriller psychological movies to play games with your head and in the end leave you wondering, you know, was it this or was it this? And this film doesn't do that. It very, very clearly states this is the way it turns out. This is the way it ends. That's how everything goes. There's nothing mysterious about this. And that's unfortunate. So if you decide to see this movie, the challenge I would make to you um, is there's when you go in very early in the movie, there's going to be a very eerie soundtrack very early in the movie <laughs> uh, where Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, the, the guy who's playing his partner, Mark, I think it's Ruffalo Mark, or something Mark, like Mark that. Mark Ruffalo, yeah. He actually, I remember him from uh, Zodiac from a few yep, years back. Yep. He was the lead detective uh, in that movie. But they'll be riding in this Jeep, going up to the asylum. There's going to be this very odd, very dominant soundtrack in the back. So, in my opinion, when I watched it, so it stands out. It took me out of the movie. It was so, That's true. you know, it was, you know, dissonant. It was, it was loud, you know, over the, the ambient noise of the movie. It was building to some sort of very dissonant climax. And it'll right. build, and it'll build, the tempo will build. You, you'll be led up to this moment in the soundtrack, and then the gate to the asylum will open. Yep. And conversation will begin. It's uh, so yeah. I mean, it, it, I challenge. And so my challenge is: if you watch that and you feel the tension building up there, and then the gate opens, and you feel disappointed that nothing happens, that's the experience you're going to have for the rest of the movie. That sets the tone for how they build things <laughs> right. up that lead to nothing. That's that's, that's really good. It really is a microcosm for it. Like it builds you up. You're on the edge of your seat, and it's like, door opens. You're like, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't something really like dramatic supposed to happen at this? I mean, isn't that where you build up with all this dissonance is for something to happen? Right. Yeah. Uh, but that really is a metaphor for the movie. It, it builds and builds to nothing, and uh, <laughs> it, I really, I don't think I could rephrase that's, that in a different it's way. It's a great box quote. <laughs> Shutter Island builds and builds to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, is this the worst movie I've ever seen? No, I, I would I would take this movie over Transformers Two any day. Um, <laughs> well, that's that, that's high praise right there. It's more another box quote. <laughs> Better than Transformers Two. <laughs> I don't think you want to exactly put that as a merit badge on your on your uh, on your lapel. But one of my thoughts coming out of this was that since uh, since Scorsese earned his uh, Oscar with The Departed. Um, this, you know, once you do that, you're kind of like, all right, I, I've achieved, right. I've, I've reached what I need to reach. This to me almost kind of felt like if you've watched Top Chef, and I know we've talked about it a lot in this podcast, if you've watched Top Chef and once you win a competition, you get immunity for the next round. So even if you, you screw up, you're not being eliminated, you're not being kicked off. This to me kind of felt like Scorsese's immunity movie in that he didn't want to just give up. So he was, he was going to try, but he was going to take some extra risks. He's going to do things that just work or might just totally come off and not work just because he could. He knew he didn't have anything to lose, and he knew that because Leonardo DiCaprio was the lead, because he was the director, the movie was going to generally do well. And, you know, the box office has backed him up. I think he was number one That's in his true. release he weekend. Did. Uh, I think what they may had over $40 million. When they, I think it was – and this shocked me. This movie was the biggest opening movie weekend for any Leonardo DiCaprio film in the past, including Titanic. That's actually true. $40 million plus in the opening weekend is more than Leonardo DiCaprio's ever. It shows that Scorsese does have a lot of clout, and I think well-deserved clout. So, you know, understandable. And especially, and, 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 you know, here's my recommendation, I think, you know, how to approach this film is that, you know, if you're looking for something to see and you've already seen Avatar like three times, like everyone else has, and there's nothing else, and, and trust me, stop. Like, 
feeding James Cameron. Yeah, tr trust me, I, I've seen the, the <laughs> I, I've seen the reviews coming out for for Cop Out. They don't look great, unfortunately. So so Kevin Smith's new film is not going to be great. There is literally nothing else in theaters. So if you need to see a movie in theaters, if you need to go on a date with someone and you can't go back to the coffee place again and you need to go see a film, go see this film. It won't be the worst film you've ever seen, but. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's just it proves that this this time of the year for films is just the dumping ground for films that couldn't have made it in in the sort of late fall season. Yeah, and I think it would be a good date movie. I mean, because it doesn't get so gory, uh, it, you know, it does allow you to leave kind of in, in moderately high spirits and it does give you something to talk about. Um, so, you know, in that respect, I think it works for that. So if that's applicable to you and i don't know how, how many of you that's applicable to <laughs> hey no uh, hey no <laughs> don't make the assumption everyone who listens to our podcast has no girlfriend <laughs> come it's on it's a good movie in that, in that Wait, regard that's not and true. again it, it's it's not a less than 50 percent movie it's just if you think that it's gonna it's the next departure it's, or you think that it's gonna be another big hit from leonardo dicaprio right. it's just not what it is it's, it's no good fellows it's no departed so, so one interesting thing is i was looking back into martin scorsese's sort of film past to see if he'd ever done films like this before because when i came into this film i assumed well you know he's never done a thriller before he's never really done a scary movie before but when i look back through his filmography he's, he actually has done a film a thriller before and uh that movie was cape fear back in 1991 it was the film that directly uh uh, directly uh, succeeded Goodfellas, and that was a film with uh, Robert De Niro. On it. And I actually have seen that film before, and it's it's actually quite freaky and it's scary and it's it's a very classic horror film and thriller film. And so it's not as though he hasn't done these kind of films before. It's not as though, not as though he doesn't know how to do the thriller film. It's just I don't know whether it was the material he was working with, the fact that the book was very very uh, narrow in its <laughs> its ending. Uh, but I really don't don't feel like uh, he took as much out of this or, or or turned this into the kind of film that it could have been. I I wish he would have taken more Scorsese license with it, but uh, uh, and, and that's unfortunate because I I feel like kind of like Cop Out should have been more Kevin Smith. Eh, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> it should <laughs> should have been more silent, <laughs> bobbed. <laughs> but, but as so, I, I know, go go ahead, yeah. I would say if you're looking for the movie you saw in the trailers and the previews, go rent or go download uh, What Lies Beneath mm. from from whenever it Definitely. was with uh, Harrison Ford from a few years back and enjoy that. You know, another great director. See, the director of that was Robert um, Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis, you know, Back to the Future, uh, Castaway. All uh, I don't know if Castaway is one you want to throw in the great crowd, but yeah, Back to the Future. Yep. Uh, Back to the Future sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> but a, for you, a great thriller <laughs> that for me is kind of what I had hoped this movie would be—a movie that tells a story, right. but is just creepy enough to kind of keep building you up to the edge of your right. seat. That ultimately ends in you're hoping, some sort of unexpected climax. You're hoping for the, like a saw thriller, only something that didn't suck. <laughs> I really didn't want Saw. I mean, just to be clear, so, I, I don't right, like right. gory horror. I don't like, you know, uh, that type of approach. I like, you know, play with your mind. Just keep it creepy but not gruesome on right. screen. You know, I really like that approach, which is why I like What Lies Beneath so much as compared to something like a Saw. Um, so that's what I was kind of hoping to get here was sort of an updated What Lies Beneath. You know, a great director, a great story that plays with your mind, builds you up to some sort of unbelievable twist um, or at least builds tension through the movie. And that's just unfortunately not not what this movie delivers. So, 
Uh, if that's what you're looking for, I would encourage you to rent something from the past and hope for something better later this year. Yeah, in, you know, if I could pull any any you know good things out of this film, you know, one one of the things I did really like is this is the first time I've seen Ben Kingsley. Uh, so you know, Ben Kingsley famous for you know playing his role in Gandhi, and of course I've always I've always known Ben Kingsley for the first film I ever saw him in, which was uh, he played like the bad guy in Sneakers, which is one of my favorite films. Uh, uh, go go check it out if you haven't seen it; it's an awesome film. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he did an amazing job in this film. I actually loved his performance as this kind of creepy, you know, psychologist in the kind of film. I think he does a good job of really making you question whether what his motives are and being uh, good or not. And uh, so it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I think this is the, for the first good performance I've seen Ben Kingsley. Kingsley in a long I mean, time. he's one of those actors for me that kind of always plays Ben Kingsley. It's true. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's true. I was, this role he played here, you mentioned it, kind of reminds me of the role he played in Sneakers. In Sneakers, yeah, it's it's kind of his thing. Uh, but. But it fits. It fits very Let's well. Let's just here, say this: like a... this redeems him from his performance in the Uwe Boll film *Blood Rain*. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, as I said at the beginning, is I don't think it's the actor's fault. I think the actors did a good job. That's true. I think, as you mentioned early on, the visually, it's. I mean, if if you all you want to go is see a, a visually well produced movie, you're going to get that. That's, I think that's it is very, very true, well, yeah. very well created in that sense. Um, artistically, it's interesting mentioned the the setting of the movie it's also very interesting the only thing you're gonna be disappointed on is it's not gonna be that psychological thriller that perhaps you thought you're getting in the previews everything else you should enjoy about this movie <laughs> you know every everything <laughs> but the story in the payoff you'll enjoy about this film <laughs> <laughs> just enjoy the icy enjoy the popcorn yeah exactly right <laughs> Maybe get that a guy next to you who's talking on his phone. <laughs> you know, that, Maybe get a couple beers beforehand so you don't really know what's going on. And you're freaked out because you can't understand what's going on. <laughs> that, you know. that maybe that was maybe we missed that requirement. Maybe, maybe we did. Maybe we did miss that one. All right, so that, that's that's Martin Scorsese's film, Shutter Island. Clearly not the uh, gem we were hoping it to be, but maybe better than seeing Avatar for the fifth time. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely better than Transformers 2. But definitely better than Transformers 2. That's that's a box quote material right there. All right. Uh, well, I think we're going to finish this up in under an hour, which I think has to be a record. I think we're going to have to celebrate for that. Uh, once again, thanks for joining us. <laughs> another 15 more beer. <laughs> thanks for joining us uh, on Weekly Monotony. As always, come back to dailymonotony.com for uh, all the the latest uh, movie reviews and game reviews and, of course, New Trailer Friday, which is my favorite thing to do when I haven't done anything else on the site (laughs) for the entire week. So at least you get an idea of what's coming out new in films. And join us next week when we will talk about what's coming out for the Oscars. We will go through the entire list of nominees and make our picks. We might even bet something just to make it a little more tense to see if we can, uh, you know, enjoy ourselves in the whole Oscar season. Uh... But yeah, until next time, you're all rats stuck in a maze. Kind of creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Way to creep out the audience on the closing note. (laughs) Awesome.